0: Hello. All right. Good morning. Go ahead and take your seats. Come on inside if you are out in the foyer or on the deck. Look at this. <laughs> We're not just waiting for one person. There's at least eight of you that need to sit down. All right. Welcome. Um, if you are new this morning, I want to say hello if you're visiting. My name is Amy. Uh, Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. I'm on staff here. Um, I also want to make sure if you are in junior high to stay in the building. Um, There is no junior high on our first Sunday of each month where we have communion Sunday, so please stay where you are. Uh, If you, um, again, are visiting or if you're new and you haven't grabbed the info card in the back seat um, in front of you. That has information about our church. It has the activities going on throughout the week. We also have a gift for you, and so if you have not grabbed that, you can connect with us at our info booth on your way out, and we can get you that gift. Uh, And speaking of visiting or being new to our church, today we have a meet and greet, and this is something we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, Some of you have registered. If you've registered, we love um, we're looking forward to connecting with you. Um, If for some reason you didn't register but this is you again someone that is new to the church and maybe wants to connect more with the pastors or has some questions then you are still able to come and so that again is after this service in Ray Hall at twelve thirty. 30 and so make note of that uh, and then I just have a couple other things I want to mention come on in hello oh look junior high hey ladies You can go ahead and sit down. Look, there's these right here. There's four. One, two, there's four right there in the front. Here they come. (laughs) All right, now we're ready. All right, a couple things I just want to let you know about. Tomorrow night we have our ladies' night. Um, It is our last one of the year, and so it's at 6 o'clock. Uh, and it's going to be next door in Ray Hall. And so, if you haven't been to one of these all year, well, this is your last chance. Um, and so, we want you to—I ha- want you to be there. Um, and you can register for this online as well, so we know you're coming. And so, that's tomorrow night. And then, in a couple weeks' time, we have our annual turkey shoot. All right, where there is—they told me what these are. Targets. Thank you. <laughs> Targets. So these are—these are. Tur- these are turkey-shaped targets, um, where you can test your ability to hit the bullseye with your family, all right? So this is a family activity, and we want to know if you want to come, and so please register online for that. Uh, We have it. It's kind of an all-day thing. We have a, a lunch for you and everything, and so that, again, is in a couple of weeks' time. All right. That's it, right? That's it, right? Oh, all right, so those are the two activities coming up in November. I want you to make a note of that, and then let's get going this morning with Pastor Jesse.
1: Okay, hold on. Amy's going to stay up here for a minute. Amy does a great job. Give her a hand. I, I'm appreciative of Amy. No, wait. Uh, actually, I'm going to keep her up here to fire her publicly. So, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Hey, um... While I just say a couple things, go to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, one of our guys would gladly hand you one of ours. <clears throat> uh, Ephesians chapter 6. So the reason I, I kept Amy up here, what is going on with my thing? Okay. Uh, is because just by by chance, she decided to wear this lovely sweater. So I don't know if you've seen this sweater yet, uh, but it is a Sierra Bible Church sweater. It's got her logo on the front. Turn around, Amy, show them the back. Model that for us. Yeah. Look at that. Okay. So... It's just a sweater. I haven't even explained what we're doing with these sweaters yet. So if you're joining us next door, not only are we going to feed you, uh, but if you're new, we're going to give you access to our sweaters that have just gotten uh, produced. So they just came out of production. That's what they look like. And then we have hats as well. And so what I want to let you know about this, because you guys always think of something that I don't think of. So what I had heard was somebody, somebody, I don't know who it was, but if you're in the room this morning, we're going to call you out without using your name. Uh, But someone said, oh, man, the church buys these sweaters, gives them out. We're going to give them out free, and the church must be flushed with cash. We don't want to uh, in any way communicate to you that we have too much money (laughs) because we don't. What happened with this, so you know, is... Uh, We have someone in the church who has graciously donated the design of the sweaters. This is the female one. We have a a male cut as well. And the hats, they were donated 100%. Someone in the church out of their own, uh, just, you know, hey, we wanna be generous. I want to to bless our family. That's basically what they said. I wanna bless our church family. I wanna get the word out. These are all totally donated. These sweaters are about $80, $90 retail if you buy them. They're really nice. They're they're top quality. And uh, what the donor told me was, Uh, first of all, what we were going to do is we're going to say, hey, we have these sweaters. If you want to buy them, uh, you can. The donations will go towards uh, like so or or one of our other uh, ministries. And the donor said, listen, I don't want you to even communicate that. I just want the church to to know that these are free to you. So if you are visiting uh, next door and you're new to the church, as a reward, you get this stuff today. You'll get it free today. Next week, the rest of you will get them next week. Okay so that's that yep thank you Amy appreciate it and then and then in addition to that the same donor oh man this is so funny we're gonna we're gonna look so awesome come Christmas Eve because Christmas Eve what we have on the way are uh, ugly Christmas sweaters for Sierra Bible Church as well so um, which just we're gonna hand those out the week before Christmas Eve so that way when visitors come on Christmas Eve they're like wow this cult is really strong here so that's that's kind of what we're looking for I'm not kidding either. We have 700 ugly Christmas sweaters on their way. So the church did not decide to spend that money, okay? We are, we use all of our cash for other things, limousines, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, I got a plane coming, private charter plane next to it. Got to visit the world, you know, share the gospel. Okay, hey, Ephesians chapter six. We um, <clears throat> This book for me, I think I've probably said it probably more than I can count. This book has been a really good book for me Uh, because just, you know, God works in my life too. I'm being sanctified and, and grown, and there's just so much in this book that deals with who you are in Christ. And I would argue that most of the issues that a Christian wrestles with, most of the issues that you wrestle with, really come down to you forgetting who you are, like your identity, like who God has made you to be. And so we've already discussed that in the first half of this book, it's positional. It really is just hammering home your identity in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, I think, are some of the most important book, uh, chapters in the Bible, just in my own opinion. Um, and, and, then, and then, though, this book, not only does it just really hammer home your position in Christ, but then it really gives us these practical ways of how we live out the gospel. We just went through how practically the gospel works in marriage and how it works as an employer or as an employee, how it works as a parent. Uh, And so all of these different aspects of life, the Apostle Paul has said, okay, you you know who you are. And now that you know who you are, this is really how you should live. You should live like this is true. And he comes to this place in Ephesians chapter 6 where we, we already dove into it just briefly last week, just really the first verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord, it says in verse 10. So Paul uses these concluding remarks, finally. And what's really kind of fun, uh, Paul is like almost all kinds of different preachers, right? When the preacher says, just give me 10 more minutes, what he means is we're going to close in 35 minutes. And Paul will oftentimes, he'll use this word finally, and you, it looks like he's wrapping a letter up. But in reality, he just kind of will keep going. So the, the same issue that preachers have today, Paul had also. And, and so here he says, finally in the Lord, you've got to be strong. And he tells us that our strength, the strength that we should have in this life doesn't come from your own ability. So nowhere in the passage, as we start to dive into the spiritual warfare of things, and we start to dive in the armor of God, which we'll cover a little bit more next week, what we really see is, is Paul saying, okay, hey, hey, you've gotta be strong, but your strength doesn't come from your own ability. It doesn't come from your own intellect. It doesn't come from your own education or whatever money you may or may not have. It really comes from being in the Lord. And that term in the Lord, in the Lord, in Christ, in Christ, is just such a major term throughout all of really the New Testament, I believe, but specifically and especially in Ephesians. You are engulfed in him. The, the, the way I worded it in the first service, if it translates to you, uh, at least it does in my mind, is is like you have a vellum over you, right? Just a, a thin layer that kind of covers you. And that vellum is Christ. It's the blood of Christ. You are engulfed in him. And so before God the Father, he doesn't just see you on your own. He sees you as a child. He sees you as his perfect son. He sees all the things that Jesus did as if you had done them. And and all the things that you've done that weren't like Christ, he sees as if you haven't done them. I I think that's good news. That's the gospel. Uh, But this morning, we're going to get into now as Paul Uh, is really trying to help us understand in this Christian life that if we're going to live a spirit-filled life, which comes from Ephesians chapter four, remember it tells us before the rest of all of this segment, don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled, be filled with the spirit. And then it starts to get into those practical things, marriage and parenting, uh, employee and employer kind of relationships. Uh, and, And the reason that that's so important is, first of all, we can't be strengthened unless it's from the spirit. But now because of the spirit in our lives, to be spirit-filled means that we're going to understand something about our life. And what that is is that we are in this life in a spiritual battle. There is a cosmic battle that is occurring, a cosmic battle that is happening. And I wanna ask the question this morning, how do you fight that battle? How is it that you really combat the enemy? Another question I'll ask this morning, when, I, when you think of the idea of Satan, which is really gonna be the topic this morning, Yay, Satan. Uh, When you think of who Satan is, when you picture Satan in your mind, what do you picture him like? What is the true reality of who Satan is and who he isn't? And how does he really strategize against you and work against you and push against you to crush you? Because Paul's going to make an emphasis that you have to have an attitude that you are at war with the enemy, that you are in a spiritual battle, that you are not in a time of peace. But that as a believer, you now have entered into a a warfare that you really can't do on your own, which is why it's so important that it says, in the Lord and the strength of his might. So with that said this morning, let's read our text and let's dive in to see what it is that God wants to share with us today. If you have the ability to, would you please honor the word and stand with me as we read from it, starting in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Lord, Sundays are a day in which we exit the world, but for a small season just a little over an hour, we're guarded from so many of the other temptations and distractions this world has. We ask in these few moments we have together to grow us closer, not only to one another, which is part of your goal, but more importantly to you. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. I want to ask you about your attitude that exists within this spiritual battle. I think this particular text is probably one of the clearest. It's not the only one, but it's one of the clearest in teaching us this great reality that you and I, as Christians, we do have an enemy. Now, you may find that to be somewhat discouraging. I don't, because I I know that before Christ, the Bible actually teaches that you had an enemy before coming to Christ. And that enemy before coming to Christ was God himself. It wasn't Satan that opposed you. It was God. In fact, it says before Christ, we were at enmity with God. That word literally means that you and I, before coming to Christ, were enemies, that God was against us. Now, when you become a believer and you put your faith in Jesus, you inherit new enemies. Before, you only had one enemy before Christ, and that enemy was God himself. But once you become a Christian, it doesn't get any easier. The Bible actually teaches that you and I have three enemies, the devil, the world, and our flesh. Now, this particular text doesn't focus on our flesh or the world, but rather the one that is behind using all of those things to distract us and to take us down and to beat us up. This reality tells us that you and I have to understand that the Bible is letting us know that beneath every other issue, beneath everything that is occurring or existing in your life that is difficult, or in the world that is existing that is difficult, that there is a spiritualness behind all of it. I think it's important to note, as C.S. Lewis has already noted, a much smarter guy than me, that, that really you and I can fall into two different errors when we think of this idea of Satan. First of all, when we think of Satan, some of our minds immediately go to the picture that we probably saw this Halloween, a guy in a red suit with horns with a really interesting but yet cool mustache and a pitchfork. It's not who Satan is. It's not who... He is in reality at all. In fact, he was created as an angel first and foremost. He was created as a powerful angel. He was created, as we probably see uh, in the text of the Old Testament and some other places, that he probably was the the number one angel of all of worship. He's beautiful. He's magnificent. Later in, the Bible will tell us that Satan actually hides himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come with the pitchfork, right? We all know to avoid that guy. That's not how he comes, John Stott says, literally, beneath the surface, there's an unseen spiritual battle that is raging. Even as you think of the things that are occurring in Israel right now, it's a hot topic. Many of you are very concerned about what that may or may not mean. Can I just throw out there as your pastor? Quit tripping. Jesus is coming back. And he's still on the throne. But yet we pay attention to the times and what is happening And really what we're told here is, we think about this idea that we're in a spiritual battle is Paul makes an emphasis for us to understand that the battle which we are in is not against human beings. He says it specifically. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? If you have an issue in your marriage, it's not about just your spouse. If you have an issue even within the church, it's not just about the people in the church or the leadership in the church. If you have an issue with your kids, it's not just an issue about your kids. It's an it's a spiritual issue that is beneath these things, right? And, and, and to say what Lewis said, we, those two errors that we fall into, one, is, one error is, is we, actually, we actually don't give Satan any credit at all. Like, he doesn't exist. So one issue is to say, as Lewis would say, I'm paraphrasing now, like, Satan has no power. But the other error is to say Satan has all the power, he's got a lot of power, and Satan is behind everything. Have you met these Christians who get a runny nose and attribute it to Satan himself? I have a runny nose, I must be under attack. But Satan's not behind everything, but he is behind a lot. And we're going to talk about that this morning, what this literally means, because he tells us that the battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness. What does that mean? What is this language? Now, theologians over the years have wrestled through it and ultimately what everyone walks away with, just big picture so you understand, the text is ultimately just saying Ultimately, just saying is that there is a strategic force behind the spiritual enemies that exist and that those spiritual enemies are many. They're not small in number. The attack that comes from these principalities is numerous, but it's also strategic. It's not random. It tells us here specifically principalities that speaks of territories or arenas, powers speaks of the ability or strength to bring under bondage. In fact, Jesus would say of Satan in Luke chapter 11, he says of Satan that Satan's like a strong man. Uh, the word powers also he he uses saying about Satan in, in 1 Peter 5 that he's like a roaring lion. That shows strength, doesn't it? Anyone want to enter into a, a, a cage with a roaring lion? I don't. And this idea of rulers of darkness is Is Satan's ability to use those things that are in the dark that are hidden to trick you. C.S. Lewis says of these particular spiritual entities that that these are like giants loose on earth and that no son of Adam nor daughter of of Eve could possibly deal with these spiritual beings on their own. For you to fight a spiritual battle against Satan is is literally like you taking a potato gun to take on a tank. You're not going to win. Part of what the text is sharing with us here, you've got to be strong in his strength. Now notice, I haven't read all of the segment here, but nowhere in the text does it tell you to be victorious. Because this reality about our attitude that we're in battle is not only that we have to understand that it's not against human beings. Your issues are not about people. The Hamas-Israeli struggle is not about people. It is far more complicated than that. And can we just acknowledge in our culture, everyone wants to fix our issues and fix our problems, but nobody, especially in politics, wants to use the words, there is a good and there is an evil. We want to fix our problems without ever mentioning those things, don't we? No speak of faith, no speak of the Spirit. We'll just strategize ourselves in our own human cunning, and our own thinking. We'll get the right politicians in. We'll vote the right things in. We'll do the right things. And if we do the right things, we get the right budgets together. and And next thing you know, everything will be in order. But our problems cannot be solved at the human level. I sit on some boards here in... Truckee, some secular boards that deal with things in our community, everything from suicide awareness to what's happening in our homeless population in Truckee. And and I didn't even know that, <clears throat> you know, some of these new uh, Section 8 houses that that exist in Truckee, they all have their own names now and, and uh, that aren't becoming. I didn't know this. I don't know if you knew this or not, but There's now areas in Truckee where where the crime has gone up. There's more homeless people than there's ever been here. And now, granted, we're not San Francisco, but there are some of you who feel like we're headed that way, right? And you know what's so frustrating about those meetings? There's a lot of talk of fixing them, but no one wants to deal with the root issue of the spiritual heart. No one wants to deal with the real issue, which is your heart. It's your soul that's the problem. It's not flesh and blood it's the spiritual world. and all of your problems this morning, you would be doing yourself a disservice trying to solve those problems just with logical thinking and without using the tools that God has given you to enter into the spiritual realm. There is a, we don't want to make it too big of a thing, but we don't want to make it small either. So you're in this battle, but here's something that you need to understand about this battle right? We're just talking about the attitude of entering in, fighting against this Satan and his strategic forces. And one of those things that we have to be aware of in this battle, as I mentioned earlier, is there's nowhere in the text that tells you that you need to be victorious. Why? Because you're already victorious. Do you know that this morning? This is one of those tensions that Ephesians has brought up time and time again. We haven't talked about it too much, but it's one of those realities that as Christians we call the already, but not yet. How many of you are familiar with that theological term? The already, but the not yet. The already is something is true, but it's not fully true. So for instance, the Bible, when it speaks of your salvation, says says this about your salvation. You were saved in the past. This is all Ephesians 1. Saved in the past before the foundation of the world. Saved in the past. You are currently being saved. That means you're being sanctified. And you shall be saved. You will enter into what's called glorification. You'll be glorified. Your body will be made new. And you'll have a new body that will no longer cry, no longer ache, no longer hurt. But you see in that the the tense in the salvations, there's three tenses. You were saved in the past. You're being saved. You'll be saved in the future. This is all kind of already, not yet. You are seen Before God the Father, because of his imputed work upon you on the cross, you were seen as righteous this morning. Did you know that? But are you fully righteous? No, because he who says is without sin, he's a liar. That's already, but not yet. Now, as this goes on, he begins to tell us that in this already not yet, we are in a war, but we're already victorious in the war. Right? Satan's teeth have been kicked out. Of his dirty rotten little red face (laughs) we don't know if his face is red and all he can do to the christian in reality is gum you to death there's not much in what he can actually do to you he has no authority over the believer you are victorious how do i know this because one the cross but also because of the implications that the New Testament plays out because of what has happened on the cross. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. thanks be to God. Remember Ephesians 4? We gotta have gratitude. Thanks be to God. Why? Because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no victory on your own. It has to be through Christ. But the victory is there. 1 John tells us that the reason the Son of Man even appeared to begin with was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? What does that mean for you there's a lot of implications let me just give you a few you no longer live under guilt and condemnation you no longer have to say yes to sin you can say no god always gives you a way of escape from your sin he cannot tell you that you are not his because you will always be his he will never leave you he will never forsake you so as you approach your attitude in this war we have to see these things that are true It isn't a war against people. It's a war in the spiritual realm. And our victory has already been made sure there's nothing to fear within the satanic realm. Do you know that? Right, you go home and the lights start turning on and off for some unknown reason. I don't know, something weird happens. Do you know that Satan has no ability to crush you? He has no ability to ruin you. At least not in your eternal relationship with Him. Now, with that said, asking again what your attitude for that battle is are you preparing for that battle? Have you prepared for that battle? How many of you recognize, as I stated last week, it was a battle maybe to get here today? How many of you with young kids, the kids got up and said, let's go to church? can't wait to go to church, right? I got one family who literally buys us hot chocolate for the coffee shop because it's the way they get their kids to church. (laughs) We had one Sunday, there was no hot chocolate. Man, you would have thought Satan won the war that day. (laughs) Jesus doesn't love me. There's no cocoa. Listen to what he says in order to prepare. What does he say? He says, put on. Everyone say, put on. That's preparation. And this isn't unfamiliar language. This now echoes back later or earlier in Ephesians where we were told to put these certain things on. And what is it that we're putting on? It says the armor, right? I mean, it's easy to read. Okay, I gotta put on the breastplate of righteousness. I, I did this as a kid when I used to play football. Every morning before going out on the football field, when I did play football, I would pray this prayer. And I, when I put my helmet on, there's my helmet of salvation. And I'd remind myself that I have to proclaim salvation to anyone else that I'm on the field with. And I'd put on my shoulder pads. That's my righteousness. May I be righteous and not talk a ton of trash like my other teammates do. But may I just be someone that's encouraging. As I put on my cleats, right? Those are, may I run with the gospel. I would just kind of pray through the armor and, and go through each piece of my equipment and make a correlation to keep my mind spiritually minded as I entered onto the football field. Now, that was just my own personal approach towards sports, and I think that it's a good one to, to live and to play and all those things for the glory of God. But as I did those things, I look back now as I read this text, and I have to recognize that he's not telling you to put on specific pieces that, 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 that somehow only stand alone in and of themselves, right? Like, like you can't put on the helmet of salvation, but not the breastplate of righteousness. Like, it's all one, right? It's around, okay, I've got a thing coming up here pretty soon. Oh, the time hasn't changed. Oh, man, I'm way over time. <clears throat> We're going to go next door here in a little bit, right? And, and, and this, this, after I go through next door and I talk and I do all the things that we do next door, whatever that is, I eventually am going to go home and somewhere probably around 2 p.m., I'm going to slip on some sweatpants, Right? and I'm going to slip on a nice comfy shirt that's a little too big and I'm going to slip into a blanket and I'm going to lay down on the couch and to the glory of God, I'm going to pass out watching the Red Zone NFL channel. You know what I mean? When you put on those jammies, feels good, right? And what we're being told is the preparation is you are to put the armor on, slip them on, slip into is the word here. But what are you slipping into? Not just the armor, you're slipping into Christ himself every one of these pieces of armor, Jesus is. He is righteousness. He is salvation. He is the gospel of peace. So the encouragement for us here isn't to put on some pieces of armor that, that if you don't wear them, you're going to be doomed. It's rather be reminded of your inness that you have in Christ. You wear that helmet of salvation. It's yours. The breastplate of righteousness is yours. It protects the the innerness of your heart and your being. We'll talk about these things next week. But at the end of the day, what you have to see about the preparation is I'm called here to put on the Lord and to prepare that as often as I can. Did you do that this morning? Did you prepare your heart for the message? We, We have these devotions out front we got from Paul Tripp. Uh, they're they're literally devotions during the week just to prepare you for the preaching of God's word on Sunday just to prepare you for the fellowship of what it takes to be with the believers on a Sunday Jesus himself was a God of preparation he's constantly preparing he prepared the, the gospel for us but in John 14 he says I go, Jesus left earth to go to heaven why? why did he go? to prepare what? A place for you. He's in preparation. John the Baptist, when he came, he said, "I'm I'm preparing the way of the Lord." And it's Christ who supplies this ability for us to prepare. We need to tap in, not into our own intellect. Man, I I found myself almost every Sunday doing this. At some point on my drive here, go, okay, I need to. What am I going to say? Okay, Lord, don't I don't want to say anything stupid. Okay, second, the second service, like in-between services. Okay, too late for saying something stupid. Okay, let's try not to say it again. The 10.30 service. And at some point, I can hear the Lord tell me, Jesse, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we'll trust in the Lord. Some people trust in their intellect. Some people trust in their schooling. Some people trust in all kinds of different things. It might be their money. It might be their bank account. It might be their retirement. Don't trust in anything in your own intellect, but prepare yourself to be in the Lord because this armor is important for us to put on. Christ is important for us to put on. Why? Because you're in a battle. And and, and the text gives us some, some clear realities of what this battle looks like. Take a look at verse 12. You see it right here? Look, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you see the word wrestle there? First of all, notice it says don't wrestle. It doesn't say we wrestle against God. Don't do that. That's how you break hips and bones. You don't wrestle against God. You wrestle, you wrestle against the rulers. You wrestle against Satan. And that word wrestle, just so you know, means struggle. It means travail. Right? My my kids, um, my older boys, I got three, so, so you know I have three boys, one girl. My three boys, uh, my older two specifically, have literally learned to just forego hugging. They just don't hug. Me, specifically. And the reason they don't hug me specifically, it's not because they don't love me. It's because they want to fight me. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I'm not over-exaggerating here. And I mean this in the most beautiful way. Every single evening, my 13-year-old comes out with his chest puffed out, Right? And, and, and he goes, let's go. Okay. <laughs> Little does he know, I have been lifting weights my entire life for this moment. <laughs> I don't even need to puff out my chest. I just go, dude, you're going to die. Right, and then what proceeds is, and, and I, you know, I grew up wrestling with my dad. That's just—I know that's not for everybody, but I, that's how I grew up. You know, and, and, and wrestling with him, and, and, and wrestling and fighting. I played football, like I said, and so I'm used to close combat, hand to hand, wrestle against each other, feel each other's power. There's blood, there's sweat. Not in my boys, like okay, doesn't get that gnarly, right? I'm not like making them bleed. Please don't leave here, going our pastor's abusive to his kids. I'm only abusive to my kids when they deserve it, okay? So that's a joke, too. I'm really not abusive at all. That's a new one not to say at the 1030 that I'll pray for later. So at any point, though, just so you know, the text when he uses this word wrestling is he's letting us know this is a close, intense battle filled with manipulation and strategy. We have a lot of people in our church who do jiu-jitsu. My kids do jiu-jitsu. And anybody who knows that particular sport, you know that that part of of doing jiu-jitsu is setting up a move. It's strategic. And the text even tells us this earlier. What does he say? You have to put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. That schemes, that word schemes, is where we get our word methods. It literally means strategies. Satan strategically is working against you. His fight against you is not happenstance. It's not, when he says he's a roaring lion, it's not like he's somehow, somehow just violently outbursting to attack you and it's random. He knows when to attack you. He knows how to attack you. He's been studying you your entire life. He's been studying your dad. He's been studying your mom and your grandparents. He knows your family history and he knows exactly what he needs to do to get you to trip up. How's that feel? See, part of the victory is knowing your enemy. And you would be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't understand that not only is this a wrestling match between you and Satan, but you're victorious in it. God is there. But that he knows what he's doing with you. Don't think that he's some kind of idiot that just, oh, traffic, I'll use that moment. No, 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 no. In fact, Jesus actually told Peter this. Peter, guess what? Satan actually came to me and he asked that he would sift you like wheat. He wants to crush you, Peter. But take courage, I'm praying for you. Right? And and we know that Peter overcame. But what I find really interesting as I look at the text is I see this wrestling match that occurs with Satan that helps me know as a Christian that I'm going to have to get a little sweaty. I'm going to have to get a little bloody. There's going to be some effort in this. And it's okay to put out that effort because all the effort that's needed for my salvation and victory has already been, been done with. But what does he say in verse 13? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, cosmic powers. Now before that and after that, multiple times, I'm trying to find the place that's the easiest to find it here. Go to verse 11. Put on the whole armor that you what? Would be able to Stand. Now, what's interesting is in this passage, the word stand is mentioned four times. So it's almost as if Paul's saying, listen, listen now, you're wrestling. You're wrestling, Satan. You're already victorious, but don't go to the ground with him. Don't go where he goes. Don't fight the battle in his realm. All of the armor is there for you to understand that you stand firm. And why can we stand firm? Because Jesus is victorious, right? How can I stand against the devil and be ready in a a defensive, critical position, right? It's called, notice in the text, it's not a call to win. It's a call to stand because you're already victorious. So you stand, And you put this on and you do it together and you don't wrestle God and you wrestle Satan knowing that he has strategies against you because he desires to oppose you and take you down, which is interesting because his name, if you study his name in all of the Old Testament and New Testament, his name actually isn't a personal name, right? Satan isn't his name. That's not his name. You'll find other places, call him the dragon, call him the serpent, call him Lucifer, Beelzebub. that's my favorite one. That's a good name. And all of those names, they're, they're not personal. It's not like Jeff, right? No, no, no. Satan, literally, that word Satan, it's a title. Satan's never given a personal name. Because what he's about isn't about creating individuals and creating people and creating identity, he's decreation. So he's called the Satan. He literally, the Satan, which means the one who opposes. How does God strategically oppose you? Again, look at verse 11, that you would be able to stand and stand against what? The schemes, the methods, the strategies, the ways in which God is, the way in which, sorry, Satan is trying to take you down. Let me give you a few of those methods and then we'll partake together in communion. Number one method. Satan will get you to question truth. Another way to say it is Satan will deceive you another way to say it is Satan will lie to you he will do everything in his strategies to get you to question God's credibility and even to question the church I love it when people say I don't believe in the church why because the church is filled with a bunch of human beings the church cannot be a good thing it's filled with all these sinners and it's filled with broken people that's exactly why we do church it's not a reason not to go to church, it's a reason to go to church. This is the only place in all of the world where everyone gathers in a room and says, yep, I'm screwed up, so are you, and we need this guy to save us. That's the reality of what happens in this room. And, and Satan will get you. Will lie to you and tell you all kinds of things, counterfeit gospels, counterfeit ministers, counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, all of those things, he will lie to you. Number two, he will accuse you. He'll do everything he can to get you to doubt God's goodness and to doubt God's grace in your life, to get you to think that you have to earn love and that you can lose his love. Satan, in fact, I know this might sound amazing to you, but Satan will get you to exaggerate your sin as a believer. You need to wrestle with that statement for a moment because the idea of our sin before Christ is that our sin caused Christ to go to the cross to die for our sin. But as believers, we're no longer seen as sinners, we're seen as saints. And one of the things Satan will accuse you of is, that sin, you can't go to church. That sin, you can't go to a Bible study. That sin, you shouldn't pray. He will get you to exaggerate your sin in the impact of your relationship with God. He'll get you to think you can't can't be with God. You're too much of an imperfect person. That's why Revelation says of Satan that he's the accuser. Constantly accusing you, constantly trying to take you down. Number three, he will tempt you. He might use emotion to do that. He might use all kinds of different means to do it, but he's going to tempt you, whether it's through lies, sexual sin, greed, covetousness, drunkenness, or gossip, or idolatry. He will do anything he can to tempt you to run away from the Lord, to get you to go to something other than God for your comfort. Number four, he'll confuse you. He'll do everything he can to fill you with false doctrine. Do you know it only takes in poison to kill an animal? I don't know if anyone's ever killed any mice in the garage. I know in truck, you're not supposed to do that because they're like holy creatures or something. But, you know, if you go to kill a mouse, it takes how much poison in that food? 1%. 99% good stuff. 1% trickery. And Satan will use what he can to disguise himself to trick you and to confuse you. Corinthians 14, 2 Corinthians. For even Satan disguises himself. He's going to come as an angel of light. He's going to get you to justify your your sin. He, He may even use signs and wonders, as Matthew tells us. Satan may come with signs and wonders, especially in the end times it tells us that there will be false teachers that will use signs and wonders to draw you, even the elect, away from God himself. So we need to be aware of this. That, that, that Satan's going to try to confuse me. And then lastly, Satan's going to try to hinder you. To keep you from growing. 1 Thessalonians 2.17, Paul says, actually, he's like, hey, I, I've been wanting to come back to you in Thessalonica, but Satan hindered me from doing it. Satan's going to do everything he can to keep you from coming to church, to go and do a Bible study, to enter into prayer, to, to do whatever the spiritual disciplines are. Pretty soon, Brad Beer's going to be doing a, Uh, spiritual disciplines class, I think, when are we planning on doing that after the first of the year? Be on the lookout. Things are coming, right? We're doing things to help equip you and strengthen you. And Spiritual disciplines are a part of the way in which we fight this battle because Satan's going to do what he can to keep you from doing those things that matter for your soul, to humanize you, to help you to grow, to be the person that God's called you to be, the husband, the boss, the father, the wife, whatever that may entail for you. God has a plan for you to, and to do that well. And as we close and we get ready to partake in communion together, the last piece that I want you to understand about understanding the devil and not only just his strategies is just for you to really understand that, that Satan's really vulnerable. Do you know that? Colossians again tells us, Colossians being the sister book to Ephesians, says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, same language as this passage. He disarmed them and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Satan has no weapons that he can use against you to prosper because God's given you everything that you need. You're not a pushover. You're to stand and to stand firm. Don't let the ups and downs of life The different relationships, the coming and goings of different people, the seasons, whatever it may be, to keep you from your consistent, solid, ever-loving relationship with Jesus. Because ultimately, do you know what Satan's whole job is, really? I like this. He's an unwitting servant of your sanctification. He's a dum-dum. In many ways, he's a dum-dum. Yeah, he's got strategies. He's working against you. He's trying to take you down. He's trying to ruin your marriage. He's trying to really get into your parenting. But here's the good news. That which Satan intended for evil, God what? Intended for good. God never allows a hardship to enter into your life without him having a plan behind it to sanctify you, to be like himself. And he may even use Satan to do it. Have you ever read the book of Job? Right, Job goes through the whole thing. He's touched by Satan. Satan can't touch him. Unless God gives him permission. God gives him permission by the end of the book. What does Job say? My relationship with you was like someone who I could just hear your voice with my ear. But now I see you as face to face. My relationship with you has increased. Satan has touched me. Satan has beat me up. He's really taken me down. But guess what the result of that beating up is? I now see my savior face to face. Any hardship that you have, you know what God's goal is for you? that you would see your Savior face to face. Don't be dismayed by your struggle. Don't be taken back by your struggle. Don't be worried about your struggle. Don't be fretting about what's happening in the world, even though we look like we're on the verge of World War III. All of that is just declaring this one reality. The earth is broken. We're in need of a Savior. And so the church cries out like no one else before. Come, Lord Jesus, come and save your people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you now for an opportunity to partake in communion together. <clears throat> we pray that it's beneficial, Lord. And we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're an elder or a deacon or any of the guys I chatted with, you could come up and start handing out communion. And um, as the guys come forward uh, to hand out communion, Here's what I want you to do. One of the things, if you were to keep reading in Ephesians 6, you'll see that part of the war that we, we wage happens in the realm of prayer. Yeah, thank you guys. Just go ahead and start handing out and hold on to the elements. We'll partake together. But uh, um, what was I saying? I totally forgot. Oh, now I remember. <laughs> as, the, as the elements are being handed out, in Ephesians 6, as it says down later, you'll see that one of the number one tools that we use to fight this war isn't just the armor that, we, that is Christ, but it's also prayer. And so I just want to encourage you, obviously you'll need to keep one of your eyes open to see when the communion comes by, but enter into prayer in this moment and ask the Lord to fight the battle. Use one of the main tools that God has given you, which is to call out to him and say, Lord, I can't win this on my own. I can't do life on my own. I can't be strong on my own. Uh, It has to all come from you, Lord. And just take a moment to enter into that spiritual realm. Close your eyes. Because one of the ways that, we, that, that I think we, that one of the reasons I think we close our eyes in prayer at all is just for that reality that it's too easy to look around us and see all the tangible things. But when we close our eyes and we enter into the spiritual realm and we see that Jesus is standing next to us, even his scars are still on his hands if you can imagine that. And yeah, you have an adversary but that adversary is nothing. And maybe just turn your eyes and your gaze to your Savior and say, thank you for fighting this battle and winning this war. I don't have to do this anymore on my own. Maybe you need to just acknowledge the Lord. Man, I've kind of been fighting and I haven't really been paying attention to the strategies that really exist to take me down. And as the, as again, as the elements are being handed out, just take a moment to talk to your Savior. And some of you in the room don't even know what that looks like to be personal and intimate, but that's the call. Don't talk to him like he's a robot. Don't talk to him like he's some God up in the sky that you can't see or touch because you can. That's why Jesus came. You see him as a man. Say, Lord, I wanna hear you speak to me. It's the best way to do that. You take the first step. Here's my heart. God, fight the battle in my marriage. Fight the battle with my kids. Fight the battle in this world. I can't do it, Lord. And you can't, my friends, you can't. You need the assistance and the strength that comes from Christ and Christ alone. Call out to your Lord and we'll partake together when the time comes. Just take a few moments. Do me a favor and stand with me, please. You know, the Lord is really, really happy that you're here. His face is definitely shining upon each and every one of you. He cares for you. He loves you. He went to the cross because of how important you are. That's your value to him. And yeah, we're in, a, we're in a battle. It's hard. Life can be so difficult. It almost seems like sometimes we're just here to travail, to wrestle. But the good news is, though, is that you can confidently stand and rest in the Lord. He's not looking for you to fix the world. He's not even looking for you to fix your own heart. He's looking you to look to him. That's all. And this morning as we partake in communion, communion is an encouragement for the believer to, again, to give us something touchable, to remind us that we sit down at the table with the Lord. This is the dinner table of Christ. He's giving you just a foreshadow of what heaven will be like. And he's saying, sit with me. Eat with me. And as you sit with me and you eat with me, know the truths of me. I'm in you and you are in me. We're one. We're intimate. You know, Christianity at the end of the day is about you knowing God. And he wants you to know him. He knows you. That might seem threatening, but he loves you anyway. And Lord, as we partake together, we thank you that your blood has been shed and your body has been broken on our behalf. That we would be reconciled to you And we recognize in this moment, some of us probably shouldn't partake because we don't know you. But we can fix that right now. May those who don't know you dive into a relationship with you now, Lord, that they can partake. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake. His body, broken for us. God bless you. If I don't see you next door as one of our
0: newbies, I'll see you next week. Let's sing. Let's sing together, friends.